Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Coming up in today's episode, we're breaking down another loss for the Jets, this time against Vancouver. The good and the bad of Billy Hanela. Plus other news and notes around the NHL. Hit the music. Hello, everybody. Recording live from somewhere. What's good and welcome to another episode of Skates and Plates on the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brandon Rewicki. You can hit me up on Twitter at Brandon underscore Rewicki or the podcast at Skates Plates Pod. Let's get right into it just when you thought maybe the Jets turned the corner. It's right back to square one. I mean, it looked like things were on the up and up after the dismantling of Calgary last week. But then the loss to Ottawa Saturday and now another one to Vancouver on Monday. What is that? Nine of the last ten? Here's the scary thing to me with how the Jets are playing right now. I don't know how many teams in the North Division that I can confidently say the Jets would beat in a seven-game series. I'll definitely give them Calgary. I think that's fair. The Flames might be playing worse than anybody right now. So, yeah, I I could say that the Jets would beat the Flames in a seven-game series. I would probably still have to say Vancouver even after the loss Monday. But Ottawa? This might sound crazy, but... I'm not overly convinced the Jets could beat the Sens four out of seven times with how each team is playing right now. Like, would you bet your car keys that the Jets would get past Ottawa if they met in the first round? Yeah, I didn't think so. So, I mean, crazy this is even a conversation. I guess, fortunately, it's a moot point because the Jets aren't going to play Ottawa. Ottawa isn't going to play anybody in the first round. But... To me, that kind of underlines just how poorly the Winnipeg Jets have played over the last couple of weeks now. And you know what? That's not even taking into account the playoff teams in the North Division. I mean, clearly the Jets are going to be huge underdogs to either Toronto or Edmonton. I mean, pretty likely that it's going to be the Oilers in round one. And I'm not saying either that Winnipeg is guaranteed to lose and and be swept once they get into the postseason. But they need to take their game just to a completely different level. If they are even going to think of pulling off an upset. The switch? Yeah, it needs to be flipped. And it's got to happen ASAP because the runway is pretty much over. Two games to go with the regular season. They get right back at it against the Canucks pretty quickly in a back-to-back. Followed off by, at the end of the week, a game against the Maple Leafs to close out their season. So there's still plenty. You know, there may not be 
positioning to be played for here. The Jets, you know, barring a couple losses and a Montreal win, are likely to grab third spot in the in the North Division. But there sure as hell is still a lot to be figured out when it comes to the forward lines, the defensive pairings, and you know, even in Ned, if if Connor Hellebuck is battling that hand or, or finger injury, there are still some pretty big decisions to be made by Paul Maurice and the coaching staff before we even talk about what the lineup might look like heading into game one of the postseason. But before we get there, let's go back to Monday night, talk about that tough, tough loss to the Canucks for the Winnipeg Jets. You know, I and to be fair, it's that game wasn't as bad as the other nine or ten losses have been in the last ten or eleven games. You know, the Jets, you could argue in this one, probably deserved a bit of a different fate. I would say at the very least, you would think that they could have got that one to OT in a 3-1 loss. But man, oh man, was that game ever emblematic of how poorly their last stretch has gone. I mean, this team is is a club that could really, really use a bounce right now. I, I don't know the last time that they even got a, you know, a bit of good luck that went their way. And it happened again in this game where it just seemed like when the Jets made a mistake, it was a colossal mistake. And Vancouver was, you know, fortunate enough to capitalize and put three into the net. But that sliver of good fortune, it just wasn't there for the Jets in the offensive zone. I mean, Shifley fools the the goal judge and the goal light goes on, but it hits, you know, I think the crossbar and the post and goes out. A couple other really, really close chances and it's just not working for them. Nothing, Nothing's going right. And they're just really, really struggling to produce anything without their most dynamic player in the lineup. I, I didn't think the loss of Nikolai Ehlers would be this bad. But my God, it's just like 27 steps out of the lineup and there's no juice there. There's no energy, right? Like, I guess, you know, maybe this is a bit of an eye-opener as to how valuable Nikolai Ehlers is to this team. We all, we all know the zone entries, things like that, five on five. The power play has gone completely in the crapper as well since he's been out of the lineup. I mean, the Jets got to find a way to make sure he's in the lineup for game one of the postseason. There's just no way. They can play better hockey, and I think they might, you know, heading into the first game of, of the playoffs, but no Nikolai Ehlers. There's just no chance. He's he's way too important. And on top of it, other key guys aren't stepping up. You know, I, I wanted to talk about a, a certain young Finnish blue liner to kick this off here, but why don't we just switch courses and, and go up front and talk about I mean, that's where the biggest issue has been so far during this losing skid is the fact that this team is barely putting two pucks into the net each game. I, I think they've averaged like 1.7, 1.8 goals per game. It, it's just not what you expect out of the Winnipeg Jets. Now, I actually thought they generated decent offense, especially in the third period. The third period, the Jets were pretty good against Vancouver, I thought. And, and they deserved to have one find the back of the net, just didn't work out that way. But I thought they were moving the puck around really well. You know, some extended shifts inside the offensive zone, something we haven't seen in a long time, it feels like, right? The defense were activated as well. Like, there was some pretty impressive five-man offensive shifts for the Winnipeg Jets where basically everybody on the ice touched the puck at least once before the puck made its way towards the net. It's just, you know, Thatcher Demko was, was pretty damn good. And I thought Vancouver... Played it pretty well defensively on top of all that. They were blocking shots and, and getting into shooting lanes, making life a little bit difficult for the Winnipeg Jets. So, you know, you're, you're trying to find slivers of optimism here. And I thought, you know, at least the attack was 
a little more creative, a tiny bit more creative and, and maybe potent than it has been in the past. Having said that, though, it, it still wasn't at the peak of what we think of when we try to remember what the Jets played like offensively, right? Like they had 40 some odd shots, but it wasn't a ton of high danger heading Thatcher Demko's way, right? Like it was improved, but it still wasn't at the level necessary that we see, you know, Toronto and and Edmonton for that matter too when they're out there on the ice. I I believe high danger chances were pretty much even for both clubs, 10-9, somewhere in that range. Scoring chances as well. Pretty much dead even for both clubs. Even with that shot advantage, couldn't turn that into, you know, those high danger chances. Getting into home plate. Making life difficult for Thatcher Demko and, and the Vancouver Defense Corps. It, it wasn't there as, as much as it should be. There were pockets of it, but still not what we anticipate seeing from the Winnipeg Jets night in, night out. Now, if we look at how the lines performed in the game, you know, Connor Shafley Wheeler actually, I, I thought, had a pretty solid one. You know, they were dangerous for the most part and, and maybe generated the the highest chances when it came to the Jets offense in that one. But I don't know, still still kind of waiting for that breakout performance from those three since they've been put together a little while ago. The big issue right now, and it has been for a number of games, is that Pierre-Luc Dubois is kind of lost out there. And I know and I've, you know, made excuses for him before that, you know, there's a number of things working against Pierre-Luc Dubois in terms of making an impact for the Winnipeg Jets this season. I get it hasn't been the easiest of roads for him, but he's got to show up. He's got to be a lot more noticeable than he has been over the last 10 games. I mean, he's on a seven game pointless streak. He's got one assist in his last 10. You know, there's a lot of times throughout this stretch here where I'm watching the Jets play and I don't know if Pierre-Luc Dubois is on the ice or not. I, I don't know if he's suit right? Like, it's you're, you're waiting for him to do something. And I don't know. There's been maybe a couple games where he's had some nice hits. But, like, other than that, can you remember the last dangerous scoring chance that he created by himself? The last good shooting opportunity that you saw Pierre-Luc Dubois in? The last great pass? To set up a teammate? I don't know. We'd have to go back a decent amount of time. We can bitch and moan about Shifley Wheeler Connor being back together and Nikolai Ehlers being out of action, but a massive, massive part into why the Jets haven't won a whole lot of hockey games as of late is that Pierre Luc Dubois isn't scoring, right? This was Patrick Liney with one point in his last 10 games. Everybody would be freaking out, be losing their minds. Talking about how he's no good. Dubois is in the exact same position right now. Now, hey, look, Lyda and Dubois aren't having very good seasons. And neither of them are doing a whole lot of action right now. But the Jets just flat out need more. There's, there's no other way to put it. I can't really say it any more gently than that. They need Pierre-Luc Dubois to be a $5, 6000000 million guy that he's getting paid to be. Not just another player wearing an NHL jersey out there. So how do the Jets... Get Pierre-Luc Dubois back on track? You know, we've asked and, and talked about what the ideal lineup combination is for him. Is he better at center or on the wing? What players can get the most out of Pierre-Luc Dubois? I, I think right now it's it's just flat out time for Pierre-Luc Dubois to make that difference. He's the guy that needs to get going. I'd love to see him move his feet a lot more. You know, there was actually a notable sequence uh, during the game where Dubois had the puck in the offensive zone. A Canucks player is trailing. He's on him. 
and it's glide, 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 and it's almost like mid-glide, Dubois realizes what he's doing, and then he starts to try to pick up speed, and he actually creates some separation, and you know the, the Jets had a, an extended offensive zone shift out of that, but it was jarring to me because it was almost a reminder that, hey, when the big guy gets his feet moving, he is really, really difficult to handle. But we just haven't seen enough of that to remember what it's like. And I think that would go a long way before we talk about which line mate, where on the ice is he best. Let's see Pierre-Luc Dubois bring out the best and who he's out there on the ice with. Let's see him elevate his line mates like he did when he was in Columbus last year. Hey, look, maybe getting into that playoff type atmosphere might be enough to kickstart Pierre-Luc Dubois. That, that's probably the, the optimistic view on that. And I, I know Jets fans are going to hope that that's the case, but we need to see an elevation, not only in the Jets game, but in Pierre-Luc Dubois' game as well. If we don't, I don't know how Paul Maurice can play him, I don't know, more than 12 minutes a night at this point. Like, you're just not getting a whole lot of value out of him. And, you know, there's the potential for other guys in the bottom six that would have a better case of, of getting more ice time moving forward. One of those, by the way, and, you know, funny enough, maybe... He's a player that should be saddled with Pierre-Luc Dubois to try and jumpstart him and get him going. Matthew Perot had himself a hell of a game as well. And and really, it's been a resurgent season for Matthew Perot on all fronts. But that was a tremendous, tremendous play by him along the boards to set up Kyle Connor for the Jets' only goal of the night. You know, Matthew Perot's always had this reputation over the last few years when he's at his best of, you know what, you put him on a line... He's kind of like a battery charger, right? He gets everybody back up and running again. That might be a move that Paul Maurice could make. You'd have to switch up the lines a decent amount, but maybe Matthew Perot is the elixir to to help cure and get Pierre-Luc Dubois back on track. But I just thought Matthew Perot had himself a hell of a game as well. Definitely one of the bright spots for the Winnipeg Jets in a tough night for sure. Now, I want to get to the defense here because this was the main focus headed into this game primarily the fact that not only was Vili Hainala into the lineup again but he's vaulted up to top pair duties besides Josh Morrissey and you know maybe a, a big time audition for the kid to to stake a claim to having one of those six spots on defense headed into game one of the postseason the early return on that decision it was awful I mean we there's not really a whole lot to break down on that play look maybe Josh Morrissey could have helped out a little bit and poked the puck away. But it's just a play Vili Hainala can't make there, right? He's got to have better awareness. I don't mind the, the draw pass at the blue line. It's just that there has to be a realization that Niels Hoglander in this case is just way too close and way too quick. And there's no play to be made on the puck there other than just either firing it somewhere into the corner or, you know, throwing it back around the other way, right? Just dropping the puck in the middle of the ice there was an absolute no-no. You know, maybe a reminder too that this isn't the AHL, right? At the NHL, everyone's a half step closer, a half step quicker, and it burned the Jets on the goal. And that was basically all on Vili Hainala's shoulders there. So the real intrigue for me wasn't necessarily, oh, he made the mistake. He's not going to be any good for the Jets this year. I mean, guys make mistakes all the time. There's been way more egregious ones on the Winnipeg Jets this year than a draw pass at the blue line. But I was, in, I was very curious to see how Vili Hainala would respond to that. Would there be any tentativeness in his game? I saw none of it. I, I thought he played pretty damn solid after that. I mean, Paul Maurice played him the second most out of any Jets blue liner in the game. Only Josh Morrissey at 25 minutes had 
more than Vili Hainel's about 17 and a half minutes of even strength time. So, you know, Paul Maurice didn't show a, a lack of faith in the young kid. Switched the pairings a little bit. You know, we saw Dylan DeMello jump up with Josh Morrissey in the uh, in the latter half of the game. But I thought all in all, if you take that one play away, you know, Vili was all right. He, he was okay. Not not the impact player I know a lot of us have been hoping for, but, you know, Hanlon was also put into a bit of a tough spot playing on his offside in the top pair. And I thought that was evident on the second goal as well, where, you know, I, I didn't think Hanlon was to blame on that one, but you could just tell the, you know, the pivot and the turn. It's it's not a natural movement for a left-handed defenseman. And he kind of struggled there and, you know, I think Cobb might have lost his guy out in front. That was maybe the main culprit on that goal. But I thought it took Vili Hanela some time to get settled into that uncomfortable role being on his offside with Josh Morrissey. And, and once he did get settled in, I thought he looked pretty good as the game moved along. And, yeah, I mean, look, the offensive the offensive gifts are clearly there, right? The mind, the passing, all that. I mean, all those tools were on display. But I think we're still, at the same time, waiting for a bit of a standout performance from Vili Hanela, like we saw in his first eight games as an 18-year-old last season. I don't know if we've seen necessarily that same amount of impact this year. The one thing that I, you know, no doubt about want to see change for Vili Hanela going into next year, and, you know, the, the common trope with young, small defensemen is always the same thing, and it's usually why GMs and coaches don't play these guys a ton. We hear, they got to put on weight. He's a small guy. He's got to put on weight. He's got to put on muscle. He's getting pushed around out there. And while Vili Hainala could certainly stand to gain a, a ton in both of those regards, to me, that's not the biggest area of concern right now in his game. I think we need to see Vili Hainala grab another step or two. I, I would love to see some speed added to his game. The, the skating stride is a little wonky for me. And look, I, I don't have a problem with you know smaller players in the NHL. We, we've seen more than enough guys succeed at this point to know that Small players can have big roles on on winning teams, both on the blue line and up front. But to me, what is absolutely mandatory for a smaller player to have to succeed in the NHL long term is quickness and speed, right? Look at Colorado. Sam Sam Girard is, I mean, way smaller than Billy Hainala, but he's having tremendous, tremendous success because not a whole lot of people can get within two feet of him when he has the puck on his stick, right? And he's able to use his quickness and his agility, you know, both offensively and defensively to great success. And you can go down the list. Jared Spurgeon, another smaller defenseman, you know, not, not offensively gifted, really good defensively, but he's able to get into the play quickly because of how well he moves. And I think Ville Hanela needs to improve that aspect of his game the most, even more so than adding on a couple LBs and, and hitting the weight room and things like that, I would love to see him get a little quicker. I would love to see a bit of burst added into his game because that, to me, is what separates the the small players that have success in the NHL as opposed to the ones that are those quad-A-type players, right? Guys that lit up juniors, and they, they also do really well in the AHL, but when it comes to the NHL, everyone is a step faster, and they're not able to gain that degree of separation to make the plays that allow them to have success when they were younger in their careers. So that to me, you know, if I'm Vili Hainala's trainer, if I'm the Jets coaching staff and management, that's what I want to see. No doubt about change going into next training camp is to see a faster and a quicker and a more improved skater as well 
for Vili Hainala. And, you know, who knows? That alone might make him a, a top four guy for the Winnipeg Jets going into next season. Now, we'll see what the lineup looks like heading into the repeat, the rematch against Vancouver coming up right away. It's the second end of a back-to-back for the Jets before they close out the regular season later on in the week against Toronto. Very intriguing to see where Vili Hainala slots in. I wonder, too, if Logan Stanley might get a bit more of a bit more responsibilities and a bit more of a look as well. I thought he was really strong in the game against Vancouver. It's also an interesting debate. Maybe we can get into that. If you could only pick one going into the postseason, would you rather have Logan Stanley or would you rather have Vili Hainala in your top six? That's something we might have to get into for Friday's episode, but I'll be very intrigued to see what Paul Maurice does specifically with the decor heading into the rematch against the Vancouver Canucks. Now, before we go, I do want to get into a few stories that I caught my eye in the NHL. One over the weekend, the other that happened to kick off this week that, oh my gosh, for, for any fans of this specific team, please go find them. Give them a, a, a virtual hug, a socially distanced hug, because they just got dealt about as crappy of a blow as you could get of a fan of a hockey team. So we'll get into that in just a second. But I do want to mention this too before we touch on that. UFC 262 is coming up this weekend. Canvas event. You better get on this with DraftKings if you want to turn that into a bit of a primetime showdown for you guys. Because DraftKings, the official daily fantasy partner of UFC, is giving you guys a huge shot at huge cash prizes for this weekend's fight. Millions and millions of dollars in total prizes up for grabs. So remember... If you haven't tried it yet, Fantasy MMA, super easy to play, super fun as well. Six fighters, stay under the cap, pile up points for advances, takedowns, knockouts, everything. A shot at millions of dollars in total prizes is what's at stake for you coming up this weekend with UFC 262. Plus, don't forget basketball, hockey, baseball. DraftKings has even more money up for grabs throughout the week. Safe, secure, and reliable as well, so you can deposit and then withdraw your funds at your own convenience. Download the DraftKings app now and use promo code THPN for your shot at millions of dollars in total prizes throughout the week. That's promo code THPN to get a shot at millions of dollars in total prizes only at DraftKings. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Some NHL news and notes to close out the episode here. First, history was made over the weekend. Connor McDavid, I stayed up late to watch the game. Four-point night. This was funny. He actually said this after the game, by the way, that, you know, he knew he was four points away. He's like, you know, four-point nights are pretty rare, so you got to cherish them when you get them. Actually, they're not, Connor, when your last name's McDavid. That's his seventh of the season. He's had seven four-point games this season. It, It just gets totally lost because of, All the other insane numbers that he's put up so far this year. But with that seventh four-point night, McDavid reaches 100 points in 53 games. We're truly witnessing one of the greatest offensive seasons in NHL history. We could debate where that ranks. You know, amongst Gretzky and Lemieux, some of Ovechkin and Crosby's seasons. You know, maybe it's a little more comparable to what those two have done. I mean, Yami Yager's had a couple of beauties mixed in there as well. I don't want to get into that debate right now. We can maybe do that before the the playoffs get started. But what really has stood out to me is just how much people want to downplay 
greatness from somebody. I don't know why this is a thing now, but I, I we just see it all the time. Twitter is notorious for it. It's an absolute cesspool when it comes to you know athletes specifically making milestone achievements. But everybody just wants to downplay it, right? I, I just don't get this. Like, why can't you just enjoy watching history, watching somebody at the height of their powers dominate the sport to a level we've rarely, if ever, seen before? That It just felt like that was all I saw all weekend long. Oh, well, he plays in the North Division. Oh, well, he played Ottawa this and this times. So blah, 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 blah. Like, can we just can it with that crap? I don't see anybody else in the North Division getting 100 points this year. Last time I checked, Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner are two of the most electric hockey players on the planet, and they're roughly 40 points back of Connor McDavid. That's not a typo, by the way. 40 points back with 50-some-odd games played. Those two are in the North Division. They didn't get 100 points. Like, can we just stop it? The the North Division stuff drives me nuts, especially when you have... There's just bad teams in every division, right? And we can go down the excuse line over and over again, but I just don't get why people want to hate, right? People just want to hate and downplay brilliance, and I I don't get it, and I'm kind of sick and tired of it, to be honest. Just If your first reaction to McDavid getting 100 points is to try and pick apart why it actually isn't as impressive as it sounds... Just take a step back and, and think about why you're doing that. I get if you're in Calgary while you're doing that, that's cool. Hockey rivalries aside, I understand that part of it. But if you're just an objective fan of the game, why aren't you just enjoying watching something that comes around once every couple of decades, right? Maybe, maybe it's just this element of you know social media that's always going to be there, but I, I just don't get it, I'm, and I'm sick and tired of it. I'll just give props to Connor McDavid for being the greatest hockey player on the planet and maybe even the greatest athlete in professional sports right now. I'm going to sit here and enjoy it. I'll probably enjoy it until he doesn't win the MVP unanimously and then I can go on a rant about how ridiculous that is, talking about most valuable when the bottom six at Edmonton is a decent AHL team, yet he's not valuable enough because Leon Dreisaitl has the audacity to be on the same team as him. But I'll save that for a couple weeks away. One other thing I do want to get to, though, and, and this is always juicy and fun. I, I love trade rumors. I love trade talk, everything like that. Dysfunction as well as great. As a Flyers fan, I've had my fair share of dysfunction for the past 31 years. But the big news, it, 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 maybe for the first time it finally dropped, but Jack Eichel speaks for the first time since suffering that season-ending injury with the Sabres. And I think for the first time, basically insinuated that a trade out of Buffalo is, is probably in the best interest for both parties. Sounds like Reinhardt might be out of uh, Buffalo too as well, and I, I can't necessarily blame him, but we can get to that a different day. But just the fact that Jack Eichel, the pick directly after Connor McDavid, finally wants out, and, and again, who can blame him? It leads to a ton of intrigue this offseason. I mean, obviously there's going to be a handful of teams more than interested and, and more than willing to part ways with, you know, half their prospect pool and a couple youngsters on their actual roster as well. But should the Winnipeg Jets be one of those teams, perhaps? It's a question we always got to ask anytime a big name hits the potential open market here. You know, anytime an elite talent is available, 
I think a GM would be idiotic not to at least look into it. I I do believe, too, that Jake Eichel does not have a no-trade or no-move clause that kicks in until sometime next year. So, you know, now is kind of the time for Buffalo, if they want to make a move to maybe a less desirable location, now would be the time to do it to maximize your assets in that regard. So I, I think this is something Kevin Sheveldayoff absolutely should look into. Now, do you burn down your entire organization to make this trade happen? For me, no. I, I would be more than willing to part with a, a number of different players and prospects to make it happen. But let's be honest, that's not the main concern on the Winnipeg Jets right now. It's obviously trying to find a top pair defenseman and then a top four defenseman to go along with that. So I'm not willing to break the bank. I'm not willing to you know, throw the perfettis and the hanalas of the world into a trade for Jack Eichel, and there's still a gaping hole on the blue line that we haven't fixed, yet we've depleted some of our best assets in other trades potentially moving forward. So I don't think the fit is there, but you, you definitely make the call, and hey, who knows, whoever's running the show in Buffalo going into the offseason, maybe they love Pierre-Luc Dubois and you know a couple other players on the Jets more than anyone else, and that's the deal they want to make, and that's why you make a call like that. So... I would be semi-interested, but for me, I'm saving all my big chips for that number one defenseman that may or may not be out there. Probably not out there, but you never know, right? There was the, the P.K. Subban, Shea Weber summer a few years ago. There, there might always be somebody lurking around there. That's still, you know, the big move that I would like to see the Jets make. Just not sure who that guy might be. Maybe Seth Jones, actually. He's got a contract that's coming up, not this offseason, but the next one. And if Columbus can't sign him, I don't know. We just see that the Jets and the Blue Jackets have some history. I'm just throwing some ideas out there. Uh, but th- but that, that'll that be a topic for another show. Back to Eichel for a second. I mean, clearly the LA Kings and the New York Rangers are, are the front runners. That's been reported for a while now. I mean, there really is no other team out there that can offer, you know, either the number one or the number two pick. Lafreniere with the Rangers. Quinton Byfield with LA. You know, if either of those two teams really have the appetite to get it done, it's hard to imagine somebody else supplanting that offer and, you know, adding a little more value there. It's a lot easier to kick off another rebuild if you have, you know, either a number one or a number two pick in the draft to to get things started there. I do think there are a couple dark horses, though. I'll throw in Philly just because, uh, who knows, they, they need to make a move of some kind, of some magnitude to get fan interest back going in that city Boston is kind of an interesting one as well I don't know if they have the assets necessarily to get it done but Eichel's a Boston boy the Bruins are always pretty sneaky about this kind of stuff and who knows maybe you reunite that Eichel Hall duo that worked out so well for the Sabres this past year I mean those are some of the options there I wonder too who might be a a dark horse team that could come out of nowhere and make a run at Jack Eichel. Probably Vegas. That's Vegas's MO, right? It's just, hey, well, just give us all the star players. We'll find a way to make it work. I wouldn't necessarily count out the Golden Knights. I wouldn't expect it from them either. But I would have to say the odds on bidding favorites right now for sure are the LA Kings and the New York Rangers. I would probably lean towards the LA Kings if I had to pick one right now as the logical landing spot for Jack Eichel going into next season. That would be a little sexy. I wouldn't mind that Kopitar Eichel out there in the West. That would be pretty cool. I would like to see another team kind of come out of nowhere, though, 
and make a run at Jack Eichel. Either way, you can't help but wonder, seeing how rejuvenated and impactful Taylor Hall is in Boston right now, what a motivated and happy Jack Eichel could do next season if he was able to get out of the black hole that is the Buffalo Sabres. So we'll keep an eye on that as we head into the offseason. And hey, why not have a little fun here? Hit me up on Twitter at Brandon underscore Rewicki. Give me your best Jack Eichel trade proposals. Give me your best Jack Eichel Winnipeg Jets trade proposals. Or maybe even if you think there's a a good spot for him to land with a different team. I want to hear those and maybe we'll have some fun and read them on Friday's episode when we get back into action. So send me those again on Twitter at Brandon underscore Rewicki or at SkatesPlatesPod. That wraps up another episode. Thank you guys so much for listening. Remember, if you have the time, subscribe, rate, five stars only, hopefully, (laughs) review, all that stuff. It goes a long way in helping this podcast stay up and running, so I really appreciate if you guys have some time to find a way to make that happen for me. We're back on Friday. We're talking about the penultimate game of the regular season. Penultimate, by the way, is also an outstanding word. Uh, But the Jets are back up against the Canucks. We'll break that one down before the season finale against the Maple Leafs on Friday. Plus, another food interview coming your way. A little bit of a scheduling conflict last week, but we got these guys back on, and they're going to join me in time for Friday's episode. Two Hands Winnipeg, one of the newest, hottest pop-ups, catering companies out there in the city right now. Two Hands Winnipeg is going to stop by, and we'll get a sense of what those guys have up and running here in the city over the next little bit. But again, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Skates and Plates on the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brandon Rewicki. Peace.